Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Lord, thank you so much for your spirit today who teaches us and helps us when we're weak, which is most of the time, and guides us into all truth. And so, Lord, we thank you for our internal teacher that you've given to us, whom you've given to us, and we pray, Lord, that we might be, Lord, listening students, and in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Genesis 34, and uh, continue to look at this um, difficult chapter here. Genesis 34, verse 1. And Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. And his soul clave unto Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. And he loved the damsel and spake kindly unto the damsel. And Shechem spake unto his father Hamor, saying, Get me this damsel to wife. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were with his cattle in the field, and Jacob held his peace until they were come. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out unto Jacob to commune with him. And the sons of Jacob came out of the field when they heard it. And the men were grieved and were very wroth because he had wrought folly in Israel and lying with Jacob's daughter, which thing ought not to be done. And Hamor communed with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longeth for your daughter. I pray you give her him to wife, and make ye marriages with us, and give your daughters unto us, and take our daughters unto you, and you shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade ye therein, and get you possessions therein. And Shechem said unto her father and to her brethren, Let me find grace in your eyes, and what you shall say unto me I will give. Ask me never so much dowry and gift, and I will give according as you shall say unto me, but... Give me the damsel to wife. And the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor, his father, deceitfully and said, because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. And they said unto them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one that is uncircumcised. For that were a reproach unto us. But in this will we consent unto you. If you will be as we be, that every male of you be circumcised, then we will give our daughters unto you. We will take your daughters to us. We will dwell with you. We will become one people. And if you will not hearken unto us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. Okay. This is really a painful chapter. I mean, this is a painful chapter in the life of Jacob. And it's a chapter that for sure Jacob wished never had happened. And as this chapter was to Jacob, you know, there are chapters in our lives that we just wished never happened. And Jacob, what happened here? He got out of the will of God as we're gonna see in this chapter. And an absolute horror resulted from this disobedience. And and we're gonna see that as it unfolds here. And there are times, there are times in our lives when we get out of the will of God and absolute disasters happen, like here. And the horror that's gonna happen to Jacob 
it will just overwhelm him with grief and sadness, and he's just not going to know what to do. And we can relate to that because sometimes when we're left in this state like Jacob is completely overwhelmed. We're in grief, we're in sadness, we're in shock. The whole world is turned upside down. We don't know what to do next. That's Jacob here. And we're going to see that at the end of this chapter, Jacob knew what to do. He knew what to do, and, and yet he didn't do it. And he turned to his sons, and he looks at his sons after this chapter and said, why did you do that? Why did you do that? But Jacob needed to know what to do next. The poor guy, he's just, we see him here, he's just completely overwhelmed. And we're going to see at the end here wonderfully how God redirects him and gives us, and that's going to be a tremendous encouragement to us. But right now, it's not so encouraging. We're, we're in a pretty horrible situation here, and, and Jacob, he just can't see up. I mean, this is a chapter that I wish, personally, never happened, because as a Jew, I can't get away from the horrible thing that my people did here. And by the way, this chapter shows us something, that God is the author of the Bible. Because a Jewish person named Moses, if he was the author, he just wouldn't have included this chapter. But God is the author of the book. He used the Jewish people to write his book, but God is the author of the book. And it's like Peter said in 2 Peter 1.21, the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, in other words, by the, uh, you could say the authorship of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That word moved is the same word that's used in Acts when Paul talks about being on that ship where the winds just drove him, drove the ship there. That's the word that's used here. Why? Because if a Jewish person were the author of this book, you wouldn't have a chapter like this. But this chapter shows a unhidden, clear, honest relief, a picture of the good characteristics of Hamer and Shechem, and it does not conceal, it doesn't hide the unspeakable deception and the cruelty of the sons of Jacob. I mean, this proves this book comes from God. And if you read other books like the Apocrypha or, or some of the other books that were considered to be a part of the canon, it's so obvious they're not the Bible. It just immediately, it tells you, to, it, they, they stand out. It's, it's, I mean, they have just a different flowery language about people. And, oh, it's overwhelming and uh, elegant uh, people are so good and all that. There's just a, the Bible is different. It has an elegant objectivity to it. And this is a shining example that, that the Bible has nothing to hide and hides nothing. All right, so in our last study, we saw the tragedy of the last four words in verse five. Now, what are the last four words in verse five? If you have my version, what are the last four words in verse five? Yeah, until they were come. Until they were, is that how yours is? Okay. <laughs> All right, mine says until they were come. Okay. Jacob held his peace until his sons were come. Then when his sons were come, then it all changed for Jacob. And from that point, we see how Jacob's sons, they just took over. They took over the whole matter here. As a matter of fact, from here on out, we don't hear one word out of Jacob. That's amazing. I mean, when you look at verse 13, the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamer, his father. In verse 14, you see, and they said unto him, we cannot do this king. I mean, all we, think, all we hear here is from the sons of Jacob. Nothing, it's, not, it's not as though Hamor and Shechem didn't try to speak with Jacob. I mean, you know, in verse 11, 
And Shechem said unto her father, and verse 34, and Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to commune with him. And Jacob, he's the head of the house. And so Hamor and Shechem, they speak to the head of the house. They speak to Jacob. But we don't hear a word out of Jacob. It means the head of the house. It's like, hey, Jacob, there's a great problem here. And people are speaking to you, you know. Hello, Jacob. Anybody home? And Jacob, he's just non-responsive. He's not responsive. He yields to his sons, and, and sons sort of stepped in and say, Dad, we'll take care of this. We'll handle this. So finally, Hamor and Shechem, they get the idea, okay, Jacob has yielded his authority to his sons, and so they revert to speaking to the sons, who they see, okay, they must have the final word here. And that's why in verse 18 it says, and their words pleased Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's sons. This was not Jacob's words. This was the words of Jacob's sons. And they were the final words. And jo- Jacob was non-responsive. You know, this for Jacob, this is weekend at Bernie's, you know, for Jacob. He, he might as well be dead. And his sons are, you know, moving, you know, moving his hands. Yeah, you agree with that, Jacob? You know, <laughs> say, okay. So as we go on now and see this absolute tragedy in the life of Jacob, this treacherous deceit, this incredible cruelty and mass murder, something that's, that haunts Jacob. You've got to see this, what happened here to Jacob. This haunts Jacob for the rest of his life. He wished this never happened. Something he without doubt replayed in his mind over and over again as he thought about that day when he, you know, we could just see him walking through this city of Shechem, seeing the blood everywhere. You know, dead men and all those houses ransacked and then, and then he turns and he sees the wives, they're still alive, of these husbands and the children, the children of those murdered fathers. And they're now in the captivity of his sons. I mean, can you imagine the horror of this? Jacob must have wailed his heart out as he saw all that blood everywhere and he steps over all those murdered men and he saw those houses ransacked and families destroyed by his sons and how he must just woken up in nightmares for the rest of his life just crying out, no, no, no. And every day he had to look at those women who were made widows by his sons and those children whose fathers his sons had murdered. And so for the rest of his life, Jacob has to look at these people, look at these widows, look at these fathers' children, and see all these families destroyed. And remember the day when he and Shock and he walked through the houses, the murdered husbands, the fathers on the floor, and he did, we can imagine him saying to himself, I saw God in Bethel. I saw God in Bethel. He was on the top of a ladder. And God on the top of the ladder said to me in Genesis 28, 13, Genesis 28, 13, and behold, the Lord stood above it, speaking of the ladder, and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou thou liest to thee will I give it and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south, and in thee, and in thee, and in all thy seed, and in thee, and in thy seed, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And, And he must have sat there and said to himself, this is it? This is the way I bless the families of the earth? By murdering the husbands of the families and the fathers of the families? That's how I bless the families of the earth? This is a torment. 
that will be with Jacob till his dying day. And on his dying day, he'll bring it up and speak about it. And every day, Jacob would ask himself, why? Why did this happen? Why did it happen? Who's to blame? What could I have done? All goes back to verse five. He held his peace until they were come. It all goes back to those four words, until they were come. He held his peace until his sons were come. Then Jacob held his peace. And then he yielded his authority in the home to his sons. And that's the question as to why. Why did this happen? Because Jacob yielded his position as head of the house to his sons. That's the answer. He yielded his command in his home. And that's the answer. It all goes back to those four words in verse five, until they were come. Husbands and fathers, what authority have you yielded in your home? That's a question from this chapter. Husbands and fathers, what responsibility of leadership have you yielded because you said, you know what, it's just not worth the fight. It's just not worth the fight, whatever. That's what Jacob did. That's what Jacob said. Jacob said, whatever. And the whatever turned out to be the greatest tragedy in his life. And for the rest of his life, he regretted it. And a thousand times, he wished he took control of his sons and took command of his home. A thousand times. And, and husbands and fathers, this is a chapter to take instruction from. Be the leader in the home. Be the head of the home. Lead the family in prayer and Bible reading and in devotions. Take an interest in the lives of wives, your wives and your children. Listen to them. Speak with them. Give them direction. That's what love is. Love them, in other words. Love them. Now, Jacob yielded the leadership in his uh, home to his sons. That was the greatest hatred that Jacob had into his family. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives, how? Husbands, love your wives by taking an interest in them, by listening to them, by speaking with them, by interceding for them. Isn't that how Christ loves us? Isn't that how Christ loves the church? He takes an interest in our lives. He listens to us when we pray. He speaks to us through his word. He intercedes for us. The right hand of the Father ever liveth to make intercession for us. And he gives direction to us. That's what he does. And so husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's how. By taking the leadership of love. Leadership of love in the home. The love that takes an interest in the love that listens to, the love that speaks with, you know, not barks to, but speaks with, the love that intercedes for, and the love that gives direction to. Those are the five actions of the leadership of love. Five actions of leadership of love. Take an interest in, listen to, speak with, intercede for, and give direction to. And this chapter stands as a monument to what happens when those five actions are just ignored and not done as a leadership of love. It was ignored here. Now, the tragedy here of the defilement of Dinah that's happened is that, and we pick up our account here as we're, as we're looking, we're in this, in this verse six, 
because all of a sudden now the father of the offender is appearing in verse six. Tamar, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to commune with him. Now let's put ourselves in, um, you know, put ourselves in, in his place, in Hamer's place, you know. I mean, you know, he's minding his own business. I don't know what he's doing. He's minding his own business. And here comes his son, and he's got this young, probably 13-year-old girl with him. And he learns what happened between them. And his son tells him, you know, my soul is longing for this little girl. And I want her to be my wife. And he wants his father now to go get the girl for his wife, for his son. Well, that's, a, that's an issue. You know, and so Hamor, he's just faced with a dilemma. You know, what, what am I going to do? Well, what are my options here? Well, let's see. His son's got the girl in his house and, and Hamer's people. Okay, well, yeah, they're more in number and, and so they could probably make a pretty good fight for it. So one option for Hamer is, okay, we'll go to war. We'll go to war and we'll tell Jacob, your daughter's not coming back and if you don't like it, you know, get your swords and we'll have it out. Okay, that's one option. And Hamer thinks, well, you know, it's gonna be a loss of life either way. That doesn't sound so good. So he decides on a more peaceful course that, you know, why don't I just go out and talk with uh, Jacob? Why don't I commune with him, you know? And I wonder what kind of a meeting that was, you know, for six, you know. That would have been interesting, you know. And so what we see Hamor here, he's a man who's just, you know, okay, something bad has happened. It's a bad event. So let me try to make the best of it here. Let me see what I can do. You know, that, that's Hamor. And so when we read the word commune, we see in Hamor, it's an effort, on Hamer's part, to try to get an agreement with Jacob. And Jacob, he's silent, okay? And, you know, we can feel for Jacob. I mean, you know, now we feel for Jacob. Now we put ourselves in Jacob's you know, shoes. I mean, we find out in verse 8, you know, verse 8, Hamer communed with them, saying, the soul of my son Shechem longeth for your daughter. I pray you give him to wife. So that's really what the subject was about when it was communing together. Now, we can imagine that. So now, when Jacob hears this word soul, soul, he says soul. You know, he doesn't say I love or something like that, but he says the word soul, nephesh, soul. That was all Jacob needed to hear because that was the very thing that concerned Jacob. That, you know, there's a uniqueness of the soul of Israel as was just formed in, his, in Genesis 32 to him personally, but also from his whole family of, uh, of Abraham and Isaac. And what he's hearing here is that the uniqueness of the soul of Israel should be lost in an entanglement here with, with marriages that shouldn't be. So it's very significant that Hamar uses the word soul. And that's the you know, soul, that's the word in the national anthem in, in, in um, of Israel, Atikpa. You know, the national anthem, it's, it, it goes... Kolod beleva panima. Okay, so as long as in the heart within. Nefesh Yehudi homia. So that a Jewish soul still yearns. Ufate mitzrach kadima. So it, onward toward the ends of the east. Ayin letzion sophia. So that means that an eye still gazes toward Zion. And then it said... Od lo avda tzikenu. So what that means is od yet, not yet, no lost. Not yet, not lost, our hope. In other words, our hope is not yet lost. See, that's the national anthem, uh, uh, you know, in, in Israel, you know. See, can I sing it? I don't know. 
Let's go. Kolo belev penima nefesh Yehudi homia ufate mitzra kadima ayin letzion sofia od lo avda tzidkenu. So that's the hope is not yet lost. Whenever there's a Jewish soul, it's a word, the, the emphasis is on soul. There's a Jewish soul. The Jewish soul is very important. When God called Abraham to be a people, he didn't call him just to have a, uh, any old soul. He had to call him to have a soul for God. The Jewish soul is described in 2 Samuel 7.23, where, where it says, and what one nation is, is in the earth is like thy people. Even like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people for himself and make him, na- make him a name and do great things and terrible for thy land before thy people, which thou redeemest to thee from Egypt, from the nations their gods. For thou hast confirmed to thyself thy people, Israel, for a people unto thee forever. And thou, o Lord, art become their God. So this Jewish, this soul, this concept of the soul, the Jewish soul, the, the nefesh Yehudi, the Jew, is, is what sets the Jewish people apart. And the soul of a person is this being. It's this being. The soul of a person is the being of a person. So Jacob hears this word soul. You know, he says, the soul of my son Shechem, longeth for your daughter. I pray you, give her him and wife, make you marriages with us, give you daughters, and so forth. So he hears these words, soul and marriages. It's terrifying. No wonder he can't speak. It's a terror of two words that this man has said, soul and marriages. And it all comes down to verse 16 when the proposal is, we will become one people. You know, there's a very, very important, you know, yenu lam echad, am echad, you know, uh, one people, one people. That's what's so terrifying to Jacob, that there should be no more Hivite, there should be no more Jew, there should be Lamechad, there should be one people, a mixture of uh, Hivite and Jew, where Jew and Hivite are just lost in each other. That's terrifying. It's just about Dinah here. This is something much deeper. This is the loss of the Nefesh Yehudi. This is the loss of the Jewish soul. This is the loss, as the National Anthem says, it says, not yet. Our hope is lost. This is the loss of the hope. This is the end of God's plan to have a people to make him a name. This is an unbelievable proposal, prospect for Jacob as he now sees with this prospect the total dissolution of what the French call the raison d'etre. So the raison d'etre is a very important concept because it, it literally, raison d'etre means the reason to be, the reason to be, or the reason for being. The reason for being. You know, that's challenging. That's before Jacob here. Because Jacob is being challenged now with, Jacob, what is your, what is your reason for being? What is your raison d'etre? See, verse 10. Now you look at verse 10. You tell me, what is Hamor's reason for being? What is his raison d'etre? What is it in Hamor's life that's so important that you feel that Hamor is saying, this is the reason I exist? What would it be? The marketplace. The marketplace. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Do you believe God created the heavens and the earth? Then come celebrate Creation Day on Saturday, November 5th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. This is a Christian family festival event with games, rides, contest prizes, fair food, petting zoos, animal shows, super science experiments for kids, plus life-size dinosaurs at our brand new Dinosaur Gardens exhibit, plus world-renowned speakers, Ray Comfort, Tom Cantor, Eric Hoven, Jay Siegert, and more. Free admission to the museum and all speaking engagements are free for your family and the entire church family. The Creation Earth History Museum is located off Highway 67 and Woodside Avenue North in Santee next to the Santee Drive-In. Bring your family and friends Saturday, November 5th and strengthen your faith at Creation Day, San Diego's Christian Family Festival event. For more information, call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104 or creationsd.org creationsd.org.